Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Joe Lynch, and today's topic is the Metro Speedy story with my friend Nancy Graham. I probably mispronounced it tonight. <laughs> no, you didn't, actually. <laughs> Nancy Graham. I guess keep saying that. Anyway, Nancy, please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Nancy Graham, founder and CEO of Metro Speedy. We're a New York-based software and services company providing efficient local deliveries of small to medium-sized packages within dense metropolitan areas. And we focus on same-day delivery within a hyper-local radius using our fleet of custom-branded electric cargo bikes we call Speedies. And we, we, we do deliveries around various urban warehouses, which provides innately close proximity to customers and rapid fulfillment. We are very highly uh, tech-driven, and uh, what we do best is improve the customer's journey by combining customers' orders, even if they come from various sources, using our order batching technology. Very nice, very nice. So normally, what do you normally, what is one of your sweet spots or some of your sweet spots for products? Sure. So, I mean, we serve, you know, B2B brands in grocery, meal kits, fashion, laundry, pharmacy, florist, wine and spirits, just to name a few. But our sweet spot really is, you know, the grocery. Obviously, we've seen the grocery boom since COVID. Yeah, happened. yeah. Uh, groceries, you know, pharmacy, uh, laundry, meal kits uh, as well. Yeah. So when you say hyper local, you really mean that. So they have to be now are these is this a bike or a motorized bike? What would give me a sense for what a speedy is? Sure. So first of all, we love the name, right? You know, pick up right. get your speedy. Uh, but it is a car, it's an electric pedal assist cargo bike. So it's a it's a three wheeled cargo bike that uh, basically has a capacity that can hold up to 50 cubic feet. It can hold up to 500 pounds. So it really provides us with a vehicle that, you know, we can actually execute the maximum number of deliveries per hour within a certain hyperlocal radius. And so you have to work in where, where there's dense population and I'm close. So it wouldn't work out here where I kind of live uh, semi-rural. It wouldn't work out here because we're too far apart. So you know, we, that is our core business, right? Our core is hyperlocal, but we also service, you know, the outer boroughs as well. And we do use vehicles, you know, motor vehicles to do that as well. So we do have a segment of our business that does provide extended zones, but our, our primary focus is hyperlocal. That's where we see the, the most benefit. Well, I think those are most likely, I'm just thinking out loud, people who are most likely to buy online. I know a lot of people, you know, that are going to be young and probably wealthy enough to, uh, well, I shouldn't say wealthy enough, have enough money to do the meal kits, to have a lot of food delivered. Would you actually ever work for like a restaurant? Do you ever deliver stuff like that? No, never uh, worked. Not- yeah. Nope. Okay. My, nope. So grocery stores. Nope. I never worked for a grocery store. I did work for a, a bakery. No, Well, no, I, I meant you guys don't deliver for restaurants. 
No, we don't. We don't do restaurants. Um, we do everything else. So, you know, there's already people doing that. Exactly. Yeah. We'll leave that to, you know, who, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Nancy, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Tell us a little bit about you as a young person before you were Nancy from Metro Speedy. Sure. Um, so I am first generation born and raised in New York. My family emigrated to the U.S. back in 1970 from the MENA region. My father was in fine. Anyway, that's, that's Middle Eastern, yes. North, North Africa. Africa. My, uh, my father was in finance. He was a CPA by trade. He did a fair amount of traveling for work. He worked for the Ministry of Finance for a few different foreign governments uh, before transitioning into what I now know is, you know, the startup life. Uh, He launched a commercial real estate business in New York. My father actually had a significant impact on my life from early on. He was my thought partner. He shaped my life and supported my career you know, as a female business owner, as a mother, as a wife, sister, friend. My mother was a homemaker. She was one of the most strong-minded, social, philanthropic women that I've ever known. She actually was an honorary member of the United Nations uh, Women's Guild in New York for over 20 years. Wow. She spent, yeah, she spent her entire life fighting for the rights of, you know, children, underprivileged and vulnerable women and children around the world. And actually, my my fondest memory were of my mother's fundraising galas, which really gathered uh, a number of dignitaries from around the world, from different political backgrounds in support of a unified cause. So for me as a young girl, seeing my mother in this leadership role, again, culturally coming from, you know, a Middle Eastern background, it really had a very overwhelming impact on my life. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. When you come from the Middle East, yeah, you not just the Middle East, anywhere you come from, you have their, uh, you're, you're, you have a foot in both worlds and your parents sound like they did a good job. So very nice. So what were you into as a kid? Did you play sports? Or did you have jobs? Yeah, you, yeah. I, I, sh- I have to ask now, did you code? Because there's a lot of that lately. <laughs> no, I didn't code. But um, I mean, I, I was in sports. I actually was in track and fields. I was an avid tennis player. You know, I, I actually really wanted to, I had eye, my eye on the prize, you know, perhaps maybe go to the Olympics for track and field. But unfortunately, wow. I, I had an injury, which, you know, kind of ended my track and field. And tennis just really turned into more of a pastime for me. But, uh, you know, I, I working, you know, I started working in telemarketing. That was actually my first job. That's a good job to start yeah. with. <laughs> actually, funny enough, I mean, fast forward to today, I didn't realize I was you know, I started my career, you know, doing fundraising, which is part of my life now, right? So we were actually collecting donations and fundraising for, for to support foundations uh, for cancer research, etc. So yes, it was it was actually a very interesting first job for me. And again, like I said, lo and behold, fast forward to today, you know, it's it's part of what I do today. Yeah, exactly. You're on the phone, either either rate. You guys have some investment partners, right? So either calling and asking for money from them or asking from customers, right? Yeah, and it's also, I mean, and it was also a piece of, it was a sales, right? I mean, I obviously built my sales experience doing the telemarketing as well. So it's it's a fascinating look back. 
<laughs> Interesting. So where'd you go to school? Tell us a little bit about your career. Sure. So I wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor. I was accepted actually in a pre-med program as I was entering into my senior year in high school. I graduated high school early uh, to basically uh, start my pre-med career. And I ended up after a few years pivoting my educational path uh, into finance. Uh, I went to St. John's University, a private uh, university in, in Very nice. New York. And yeah, it was, you know, again, you never know, you never know what you're going to end up doing um, in life, that's for sure. And I, I guess I, at the end of the day, I followed more of my of my my father's path. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's so many people uh, on my podcast who've said I was going to be a doctor, and I, and I always think if you're from India, and there was somebody on my podcast, and my mom and dad were both doctors from India. There was no no one ever asked me what I was going to do. I right. was going to be a doctor. That was it. And 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 the, then to do very well in the tech space kind of like validates like. See, it's okay. There's there's other ways to add value and make a good living. <laughs> Not everyone has to become a doctor. I think a lot of that is is cultural, right? That's I mean, what I mean. It's Asian. It's it's Middle Eastern. It's you know, it, there's a lot of preempted expectations, right? But you know, for me, I mean, I, I actually started my career, you know, obviously after uh, graduating, um, I was in finance. I did segue into the insurance industry. I worked for. A number of Fortune 100 and 500 companies, uh, including Merrill Lynch and AIG. Oh wow! I mean, fun fact: you know, my first logistics job was actually here at Metro Speedy. I, I actually knew nothing about last mile logistics, but fast forward to today, we're, we're one of the fastest growing last mile logistics companies in our space. Right, but when you think about that, we had UPS, we had FedEx, the postal service has always done that. I guess Amazon is in that final mile, but it wasn't a lot of others that were already in it. So it wasn't like I'm coming against all these guys who were born and raised in this final mile space. They There just wasn't a, a developed industry in a lot of ways. It's We're figuring that out, right? It wasn't. And, and honestly, you know, other than, of course, the big big names right, you just called out the larger carriers you know of course the amazons of the world was was always there right as a consumer that's like the closest i had to an experience of what a last mile uh, company would perform but um you know it it was certainly as it is today it's still a very fragmented industry oh yeah figuring it out no yeah and there's no clear leader and for us it was kind of just the right time, you know, the right moment. Obviously, there was a story behind how we launched and why. Yeah, yeah, that's I want to know that story. So, when and when and why did you quit your 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 day job to go do Metro Speedy? Yeah, I mean, look, many people until today tell me that I'm crazy. Well, maybe not till today, but at least a couple of years ago, after I started the company. But um, so I started uh, Metro Speedy in uh, 2017. I launched the company to initially help solve a real problem that was rampant in the laundry space. At the time, deliveries were being made on foot by couriers having to carry 30 to 50 pounds of laundry bags over their shoulders. And I don't know if you've ever like noticed it, but perhaps you have, you know, just your your local dry clean or, or laundry company. They were making deliveries one by one which I thought was extremely inefficient. And I always thought that there would be a, there's a better way, right? So 
I was actually asked by one of the largest dry clean and laundry companies in New York uh, to find a solution. And since I love a great challenge. How, um, how, why did they ask you? You were doing something in insurance and finance. How they say, Nancy just looks like she wants to figure this out. So I had a connection and uh, just full transparency. So my husband runs one of the largest dry cleaning companies in New York. Uh, it's the company ah. Buy Next. So we, you know, it was really a pet project. I took it up as a, as a challenge. And, you know, I went into... That's the, the best way to learn, though, because you have the inside scoop. You can always ask your customers, what do you really need? Exactly, exactly. And for, for me, you know, I was far removed from, you know, from my husband's business or, or that whole world. But, you know, I, I actually really took it as a serious weekend project. I went into, you know, the European markets. I actually took a visit to Paris. and That was just an excuse to go to Paris. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but funny enough, in Paris is where I found uh, cargo bikes running around. And it was being used by local, oh, local okay. delivery for local delivery. And it was being used by larger international carriers over there. And that was my aha moment. Okay. These cargo bikes, like I mentioned before, have large capacity. They could be custom built. And not only could they alleviate the deliveries being made on foot, but, you know, I, I mentioned this before, it could also maximize the per delivery rate per hour. And after discovering the solution, I basically started digging deeper. And I quickly realized that this was a massive market and that it was not just a solution for dry cleaning. And you know, I, I said, we can add pharmacy, we can add food. And that's actually when I took the leap of faith. And I haven't looked back since. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I got to tell you my my dry cleaning and laundry story. It's it's a sad one. <laughs> when when I was a kid, my dad worked at Ford Motor Company was, uh, in engineering product development. And so he wanted to own his own business. So he and my mom saved their pennies and they saved all this money. And, they, and my dad says, I think I'm going to buy a dry cleaner laundromat. And at the same time, he was playing fast pitch softball with Mike Illich, who's the founder of Little Caesars. And they were good friends. And Mike had started his first Little Caesars franchise and would say to my dad, don't buy a laundromat. Buy, I'm going to franchise just like McDonald's. And I want you to buy my first store and I'll open another one. We'll share advertising and we're going to grow this thing. And my dad's like, yeah, I don't know. And my dad says, <laughs> in his defense, he goes, he goes, we didn't even have, in, in Michigan and Detroit area, we didn't have pizza till like the fifties. So even though we had all these Italian people, I don't know why they weren't bringing pizza, but my dad bought, my mom and dad bought a dry cleaner. And so dry cleaner and laundromat. And so when I was sick, when as a kid, if I ever said, I don't feel good, my mom would be like, that's all right. Just come with me to the store. I'm like, right. <laughs> I think I feel better. I think, I think I, so my sister and I, to this day, joke about it. Like we would never be sick because you did not want to go to the dry cleaner for the day. Right. And, and then even now, like if I go to a dry cleaner, I walk in, I go, I can't stand that smell. I spent many hours trying to make fun over there at the uh, dry cleaner. That should have been a Little Caesars. No one's ever heard of snowy white laundry, but I think everyone's heard of Little Caesars. And that should have been my birthright. I should have a hundred Little Caesar franchises. That's a great story. And that's a great plug, by the way. <laughs> by the way, we also here in Michigan, for the most part, you don't get dry cleaning or laundry delivered here. Really? Where I live, 
Uh, there's a, one company that I know did, and they would just they leave it on your they would put it on your door. But for the most part, you don't see that. I I had to argument with some friends six months ago where they're like, dry cleaners don't deliver. I go, yeah, they do. Just where I do, where I live does. Not everywhere. Well, I'm going to pass that on. Maybe that'll be a market that we, that they open up. Well, you again, you have the density where you're at. It makes a lot more sense. We're just not as dense here in the Midwest as you are in New York City. So you started because you saw these cool carts. Then you came back and you said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy, buy, get a, a bicycle, a cargo bicycle." And did you, did you have to go out and search for those, or how'd that work? Yep, I certainly did. So I had to find uh, a manufacturer. I actually found a manufacturer. I obviously had to, it was really kind of process of elimination at that point, but we went through two different manufacturers, uh, bad experiences, but ultimately until we reached our current manufacturer, who we actually have a very strategic and exclusive partnership with, who builds uh, a trikes just for us. And, you know, obviously that was also an experience in and of itself, you know, transporting, you know, customs, uh, figuring out how to get it, you know, the landing. And so it was, it was a very interesting experience on that front as well. So, so you had your first customer, he had to do business with you. <laughs> yes, and they are, they're, yes, they're our most strategic uh, partner. They obviously helped us, you know, validate what we were doing, not only understand that, the market, test our, our technology, understand the market. And they, you know, at the time had, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers on their platform. So it was a, it was a perfect alignment for us. So you started delivering dry cleaning and laundry. What was your, and what was your thought? Did you think, Hey, there's a lot of other opportunities out here. What was your thinking? I mean, or did it, how did it, how did it evolve to the second and third customers? Yeah. So, you know, Early on, like early on when I was doing my research, when I realized how large the market was, that's actually when I said, you know, first let's do the laundry, but it def- we definitely can start incorporating the next vertical. So the next industry or vertical that we added was was pharmacy. And from there, ah. then, we went, then we went to grocery. And, you know, we started learning a lot more about the cross-functioning of a customer, right? So not only were we delivering you know, one delivery. So what happened was actually funny enough, which is why we're at where we are today with our technology and and our our focus of batching orders is that when we started adding in the pharmacies and groceries, we realized that we were making the same delivery to the same, I'm sorry, we were making multiple deliveries to to the the same same customer on the same day for different vendors and different sources, right? So I said, and that was another like light bulb aha moment. I said, wow. So not only are we spending three times, right? Sending three separate drivers to make the same delivery to the same unit. Why don't we start trying to figure out how do we batch these orders? And that's where we are today. So when you started delivering drugs for pharmacies, was the, was there special requirements? Uh, not anybody can move those, right? Sure. So we are HIPAA compliant. They're not per se regulatory requirements, but we do vet our drivers. Uh, we make sure that they are, you know, they do the right test. There's per certain testing that has to get done. But outside of that, you know, it's just making sure that we are HIPAA compliant. So one, not leaving, not leaving packages unattended, making sure that there's a signature on file. You know, pharmacies do have, they are required to be compliant and uh, they have regulatory oversight. So we just have to make sure that we're, 
helping them in the proof of delivery compliance. Well, I think also, I mean, I'm sure you've dealt with it a lot more than I would, but there's also a lot of people who are addicted to drugs and they will do anything. Even, you know, I've talked to friends who work in hospitals and they say, oh my God, people show up and you can, after a while, recognize them trying to scam drugs. So yeah, so the good thing is, uh, Joe, we we actually we don't know what's in the package. We actually right. to be it's stapled clear, shut. We don't want to know. We don't want to know what's in the package. But that's why the proof of delivery is vital when it comes to pharmacy. And we've been doing this for you know almost four and a half years. We've right. really we've really perfected. You've proven it out. Yes, yes. So you started off with these speedies, and these are. Th- these are like you call them trikes also. They're three-wheeled. They can carry up to 500 pounds. And you're in, in, in what area in New York? Was this at? In Manhattan and the neighboring boroughs. So so these are, do you ride on the streets or do you ride in the sidewalk? So not a sidewalk. We're, we're basically regulated by the New York City Department of DOT for bicycles. So it's a bicycle. It follows bicycle cycling uh, laws, commercial cycling laws. So we ride on the bike lane, you know, I not on the sidewalk. We can park on the sidewalk if we want. I've seen the New York sidewalks. It's probably not the best thing to be riding down. Yeah. So you started off there. Now, I know you have a tech component to your company. When when, and why did that come about? I mean, and I imagine it started, I'm just going to ask this. You started seeing some places where you say, I'm delivering to this location twice today and three times in the, this week. And that's when you started the idea of batching. But when did you say, hey, look, this needs to become more tech focused so we can be efficient and effective? Yeah, I mean, I realized it when we were using initially for, you know, when we started out, we were using a third party technology. And, you know, I, I knew I, I needed to do that because one, it's very costly to build your own technology. And um, as we grew, I mean, we always had our eye on the prize that we knew that we wanted to build our own proprietary tech. Uh, which we do have today, but obviously, you know, it, it, everything takes time, right? Nurturing right. something, building something. I, I didn't it's know. It's best that you waited probably because you gain more insights about what I actually need. You know, if you buy, if you buy something, if you buy something off the shelf, you're not committed to it for life, right? You, you've implemented it, probably a little hassle to switch from it. But if you start developing technology too soon, it's not what you actually need. Absolutely. Um, I agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, we really, I mean, we were very lucky in that sense because not only did we perfect what we knew was wrong, perhaps with the tech that we were using, right. um, we, we, we really kind of tested, we proved, we proved, we proved the, con- we proved the concept and, uh, and we learned from it. We learned from the mistakes, we learned from the errors and we knew what was needed for us to, to do, you know, what, what a customer needs, right? At the end of the day, it's that tracking, it's that customer, tra- it's that transparency in the order process. You know, there's there's many different moving parts when it comes to, you know, dealing with a B2B partner and then also dealing with the end consumer as well. So it's funny, to, you think you're going to be a doctor, then you find yourself in finance. And then before long, you're buying three-wheeled bikes and developing technology, you're like, yeah, it tells you about your education because we all think we're going that direction only to find out 20 years later, God almighty, why did they study that? Not that finance is ever a bad thing to know. <laughs> sure, it helps now. <laughs> it definitely helps. I mean, running, you know, running your, your finances in your business, uh, it's probably 
you know, the most important vital part of, of any successful company. So, um, yeah. So talk a little bit about the expansion. I know you guys have grown and you had to buy more bikes and you had to get, get more r- drivers. And then at some point you've got some, now are those gig economy people or are they actual employees of uh, Metro Speedy? How have you managed that? Sure. So great question. So we do have a hybrid model, but primarily the drivers are gig workers. You know, we manage it as demand comes in. It's that we have a very um, flexible and pure gig type work platform. It's basically, you know, you come on and come off, you go on and on and off duty as, as the driver wants, uh, picking up, you know, runs, picking up uh, uh, deliveries, requests, etc. So, you know, we, we basically, you know, COVID is really one of the turning points for us. Um, not only were we in the right space at the right time, I mean, obviously it was a calamity at the time, right? Nobody knew what was happening, where was it going? Initially, we became, you know, essential, an essential service. Uh, we were literally probably one of the very few companies walking, you know, around in Manhattan providing deliveries right. to hospitals and uh, nurses and, and emergency workers. Uh, and then we we kind of saw that immediate shift when, you know, grow, I mean, everyone was sitting home, right? So right. there was only home delivery. Everything kind of transitioned, you know, 100% to home delivery. And then these larger grocers were bursting at the seams, unable to keep up with, with the shift, right? So we grew two to three times overnight. I mean, it was an immense challenge, but we were ready for it. And, you know, that was really one of the things that that allowed us to to grow as quickly as as we had. Right. And and it's funny. Um, I like to think, I've said this before, and I feel like I maybe cursed us a year ago. I was saying, I think we're on the tail end of COVID. I honestly thought last summer, you know, last spring that we'd be done. And here we are at the end of February. I like to think as we go into spring and summer that it will be in our rearview mirror, but it really has changed, especially grocery delivery. Again, it's just really the mindset has changed. And we we saw the rise of Insta, uh, Instacart and I use shipped. I, I would use Metro Speedy, except you guys don't serve my area yet, <laughs> but I use shipped. I use Instacart and all of a sudden we kind of needed to do those things. And it it was scary because I remember, this is so crazy, and I'm not a germaphobe, but I remember getting my groceries and saying, should I rinse these? Should I rinse these off? Because there might be COVID germs on them. And I remember like going, not only do I have to wash dishes, put them in the, I'm thinking, I don't want to put them in the dishwasher, but it was that scary for a while, not knowing what, whether the food I just brought in might have a problem let alone leaving the house to go get some. And I have an elderly parent, a scary, scary times for people that age. So yeah, it changed everything, didn't it? Oh, it, it certainly did. And for us on, a, on the business side, uh, we had to make sure that we were delivering products that made the customer comfortable, right? Without, you know, obviously wearing the gloves and making sure that we're right. you know, social. Minimizing care. human contact. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we had to change the way, you know, we accepted signatures, right? Nobody wanted to touch the driver's phone. And, you know, the drivers didn't want anyone to touch their phone. So. Oh, yeah. They're seeing like 50 or 100 people a day. It must have been scary. Exactly. So, you know, we had to make, you know, changes and we had to adapt adapt to the changes that were going on 
you know, really fast. And um, I have to say, you know, the team that we have and the partners that we work for, because it was truly a combined effort. You know, I can't take all the credit. Our, our business partners really stepped up as well to make sure that it was a it was a collaborative effort to make sure that the end user and our drivers, because, you know, it you know, it's not just about the end user either. Our drivers also had to feel safe. So we, we, we really did do a lot. And, you know, I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel, Joe, um, you know, with with the <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I can just speak to, you know, the New York area here where, you know, the mask mandates are being lifted. So I, I think we're oh, we yeah. lost those a year ago. Oh, well, there you go. All, right. All right. We're we're far behind then. Well, you guys, I mean, there's probably good reason you guys are you're dense compared to yeah. what we are in the Midwest. So we can spread out. And it's it's interesting. I think people love the idea of blaming somebody for for COVID. We all everyone wants a boogeyman. And when people were wearing masks in New York longer, I get that. Here, as soon as I got vaccinated, I was like, "All right, I, I wear a mask." Everyone else wearing a mask, I'll put it on. But I'm like, I got three shots. I'm like, I, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to give it. But I understand if I was in a crowd all the time, like you guys are in New York City. Yeah, I'd be yeah. wearing it. That's why some of us moved a little further west. We didn't all stay in New York. Well, I mean, that that brings another topic, right? We obviously saw an exodus, right, of people that left, whether it was temporarily or not. But eventually what what we're hearing is the numbers are larger than, than what we expected as permanent moves, right? People did leave New York. They left New York to go, whether it's down south, west, to your point, so... Oh my God, I was talking to somebody in Utah and they said, we have people buying houses in Utah, sight unseen. They go, oh yeah, I was on, I was on realtor.com. Looks cool. I'll buy it. You want to fly out and see it? I will see it when we get there. And and so it's warping New York money. You don't get much for your money in New York because you got all that wealth there, but also just very expensive housing price. And they said, we get the same thing from California. People just showing up and going, hey, look at this. I have a 3,000 square foot house with a yard, <laughs> be, be $2 million in the city. Well, you know, the, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the fact, the flexibility and the, the fact that businesses were forced to figure out their tech to allow people to work from home. Um, I mean, that's that's really the game changer. I mean, if it wasn't for that, you know, nobody would be buying a house, you know, in the Midwest or at least not from New York. <laughs> so. Right, right. Well, yeah, they weren't moving. They, they, they know what weather we have, so they move further. Well, <laughs> so you mentioned you, you use gig economy workers, and then you said you have uh, you also have some, obviously, direct employees, and then you have the gig economy. How do you manage that? How do we manage that? Well, I meant, I meant like, so you, you have requirements, obviously. So you need to have things that has to support your customers and your customers' customers. And gig economy workers want to work when they want to work. That's the cool thing about being gig economy. So how do you make sure you have the right amount of people on staff at all times to support? So, you know, we're very fortunate to have, um, we have hundreds and hundreds of drivers on our platform. You know, obviously early on we have, you know, we, we do promotions, right? You guarantee if you're on, if you're on our platform for a certain number of time, for a certain number of days, we give them, you know, promotional incentives. So there is a there is a level of incentivizing the drivers to stay on and um, you know honestly we haven't we haven't actually run a promotion in a while which means 
people are actually coming on our on our platform because they know that they have there's jobs, there's deliveries being pushed. So, you know, four years into this, uh, when we started, we obviously had a lot more promotions right. to make sure that we had drivers on, especially as a new startup. But now we're seeing much less of that, uh, which which is very telling to you know what we have as a service and and the number of clients that we have and and all of that. Yeah, it's it's very interesting the gig economy because I think it really fits. I remember bumping into somebody in Ann Arbor, and it was a guy. Actually, it was uh, I was at Lebanese restaurant, and the guy came in, and he was picking stuff up, and he was waiting. We were chatting, and he I said, "How long you work for DoorDash?" And he said, "Well, I'm working with DoorDash, Lyft, and Uber." He goes, depending on the day. And I said, oh, how do you like it? He goes, well, I'm an IT guy. And he said, I'm looking for a new job. And he said, this is perfect. He goes, I come in, he goes, I'm working like 10 hours today. And he goes, and I won't work at all tomorrow because um, I, I have something with my kid. And he goes, it really works really well. And I was like, and it's that flexibility that that you're giving people that um, I think they really appreciate. And I've said many times to people on my podcast, Give me the choice between going and working, let's just say, at a warehouse, and that's a booming job all of a sudden, or go big gig economy where I can drive around and drink my Diet Coke and listen to my music. I'm gig economy all day, especially if, I get, especially if you get me those Metro Speedy bike and I can drive around on it. I mean, honestly- <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> You'll be very surprised at the kinds of drivers that we have from- you know, medical stu- students to engineers, as you just mentioned, to really kind of, it goes across the board because of that very fact. And you're right. A lot of them realize, one, they can probably make just as much or at least, you know, cover their expenses or, right. you know, there's a lot of people that have shifted their mentality too, right? I mean, COVID happens, you know, we all just want to kind of live a content life or, you know, be less stressed and, and having that flexibility to jump on any platform. And you're right. I mean, we have drivers that are probably doing a Metro Speedy delivery at the same time doing an Uber and, you know, and the other players in the market at the same time. And we don't, we don't even know what they're doing at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I think I've watched, I've talked to people who work for shipped when they deliver to my mom's house or to my house. And yeah, a lot of times it's moms and they're like, yeah, you know, I used to be a marketing person. I used to do this or that. And now I want to be home more. And, you know, the great resignation was largely women and mostly moms. And I think they, they, they're more likely to be uh, impacted by kids being pushed out of school at the last minute, which you've had a number of places where that's been a problem. And I think they're also more likely to be a caregiver for an elderly parent. And I think they just, you, you made a good point. Just maybe you take a deep breath and say, I had some time to think during COVID. And I think I don't like what I'm doing with my life. I'm going to be a little more flexible, a little more free. And so, yeah, I think the gig economy is not going anywhere. It's just, it, it, I think the challenge for companies like yours is how do I take these gig economy people, make sure they f- are able to fully support my customers and, and by extension, your company. That's that's a little bit of the challenge because I know in California where they've made a gig economy, I think it's more or less not legal there. The, yeah, everyone has to be an employee. It really hasn't been good for the workers because everyone says, oh, now you have a full-time job. They quit a full-time job to be, be a gig economy person. And now you're saying, no, you have to be a gig economy. And now they're being to, like Uber and Lyft say, the only way it works is I have to give you a schedule now. 
And I don't think they wanted that. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, everybody makes their own decisions in life, right? What they wanted, they should be able to at least, right? Make a decision. Do they want to be an employee? Do they not want to be an employee? There's a benefit to, 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 to being a gig worker, right? You like, like you said, there's the flexibility, there's the decision making, but at the end of the day, technology is what just to answer your right. question about the challenge, right? Technology is what will direct the gig economy to do the right to do the job the right way, right? It's the instructions, it's the notes, it's the you know being very specific in what is needed for that particular to delivery to be successful. Um, you know, and and that's that's how we run our business, and it's it's been it's been very successful uh, because of that. Right. So you you have to obviously have a vetting process. We won't get into that. I'm sure it's extensive. You got to make sure you're getting the right people, and then you have to make sure you're using technology to make sure they're available when they need to be available. And obviously, it has to be attractive enough that they're there. And then you mentioned you also have some vehicles that you're driving. Are those also are those company vehicles? Or are you doing gig? How's that work? No, they're not company vehicles. We have what we call, a, you know, drive your own car program, which again, it's it's a gig related. Makes uh, sense. Job. Yeah. And, you know, that's the way to scale and that's the way to kind of build the business as well. Yeah. Well, again, if you, if you, if you were to decide those are all going to be company cars, it puts a lot of cost on you. And then there's a, a then you start to say, God, now what, what business am I in? Right. Exactly. I own a fleet of vehicles. Um, how did this happen? I mean, look, at, you know, we're, we are a SaaS company, so we have to remember, you know, that that's that's how I initially wanted to start the business. But we are a software and service. So we, you know, I always say we're a true full service uh, delivery solution. Right. When I think the nature of all of logistics and transportation and supply chain is good partners. And that's what we're all looking for. So when you talk to a trucking company, you know, they have owner operators. When you talk to the freight broker, by definition, they have carrier partners. This is just the way business is done. And I think it's up to us as business people is to say, I have to make sure that, you know, I'm seamless with the people who support me and my customers. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about some of the things you've learned along the way. I mean, I know there's had to be all sorts of, I mean, you said you doubled in size overnight sometimes. Talk about some of those challenges that you've had over time. How do you deal with them? Not only professionally, just, but also personally. I know you mentioned you have a husband and you said you have kids. You got a lot of lot of hats to wear. How do you manage that? Both the challenges that you've had over time. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. It's it's kind of a I, I guess as a, as a female, as a mother, as a sister, as a daughter, as a wife. You know, we I you know we wear multiple hats, right? I mean, for us, for me, I would say that there's a myriad of challenges, right? Whether it's you know high level challenges, operational challenges. Um, I would say, You've seen them all. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it all. I mean, I, I would say high level biggest challenges involved, you know, from from funding and being a solo founder. You know, I learned a number of valuable lessons along the way. You know, as a bootstrapped startup, you know, I quickly discovered that I had to be creative and resourceful. I also learned, you know, that I had to focus on profitability from early on, and I was not afraid to ask for help. You know, and I I stayed the course. Um, I established, you know, a connection with strategic partners. Like who, who would be like a strategic partner for you? Don't name the names, but types of companies. So, well, our business part, one of our largest business partners. So any large, you know, um, enterprise level customer is a very strategic partner of ours. 
but also, you know, other delivery management softwares, um, other aggregator software companies. You know, there's there's many strategic partners that we have that we use, you know, one as our sales arm or there's just a multitude of different type of partnerships that we that we create and we we enter into. And, you know, ultimately, also as a solo founder, um, it's very important that that I found, you know, and I did find a thought partner uh, to help navigate my journey, which for me was very helpful. I mean, the worst thing to do is to talk to yourself about oh, yeah. that you have. And then and then, of course, on the operational side, you know, there's a number of... Who is that thought partner? That It's someone that, that works with me on my team. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's actually... I didn't know if it was, I didn't know if it was like a mentor type thing or if it was like a friend. Cause I, I, I totally agree with you though, because I'm from automotive and then in automotive, you have this super deep bench. There's always, there's no such thing as not enough resources. It's, there's enough resources you just have to sell to get it, right? I just want to, you know, sell the boss on getting more. And then I did run a little logistics company, which had fewer resources by definition because it's smaller. But then to be working on my own, I find sometimes you're doing something and you don't question it. And then I do have some close friends and I have a friend, I always call him like a mentor, and he challenges me all the time, like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And, and sometimes it's upsetting almost because it's like, Oh, he'll even say, I know I've been, I've been on your back about this for a month. And then one day I'll just go, you know, you're right. <laughs> it is nice to have because you, you can't see what you, you, it's outside your perspective sometimes. It's very helpful. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I mentioned this earlier where my father was truly my thought partner on, on many levels. And, um, you know, I had to transition to find another thought partner, but, you know, you know, the person who, who is my thought partner really does challenge me. Just as you say, they, 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 they check me, you know, she puts, she basically asks those hard questions and um, it puts a lot of perspective in what you do. Right. It's good to have. So you mentioned you have investors now, did you get, go get VC money or private equity money? When and why did you do that? What did you use the money for when you did that? Sure. So we did get VC money. We, Basically, again, it was another nurturing type of, of process. There were VCs that um, we kind of were introduced to uh, years ago. We basically showed them, you know, what we can do. They understood our business model. They liked what we were doing. They saw the traction that we were gaining, you know, year over year. And, you know, we ended up closing a seed round with them, a, a rather large seed round uh, last year. And um, we, we did that basically to continue to grow our B2B business, obviously also to hire, you know, uh, to grow our team as well and enhance our, our tech. Was that growing? Yeah. So that was growing sales team, operations team and tech. Absolutely. So, and, and the reason I ask about the, that is this, my understanding, which is as usual, vague. VCs like software as a service. That's They would like that very much. But I don't think they like asset-based companies like trucking companies, right? That's not, unless there's a strategic play, that's not where they play. They like software because it's got that hockey stick growth. But you guys actually have some of, you have those speedies. So when you grow, you're going to grow obviously beyond New York City at some point. Well, you have to grow into, there's no 
density like that. Well, I shouldn't throw away that. There isn't necessarily density like that in every major city. You can't make that work in every major city. So will eventually you guys grow with your technology or will you grow the same model you've been using in New York, just other cities? Yeah. So great question. I mean, we will certainly grow using different methods. The dense cities that we can grow with our speedies, we will. There's also different ways of launching the speedies, whether it's through franchise models or licensing models. We've, we've thought of all okay. of that in advance. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, for us, tech is very important. It's, it's really the heart of what we do. And of course, the SaaS piece of it is also extremely important. I mean, we, we not only do we do deliveries, but we also manage other people's businesses' deliveries. So for example, if you actually have your own fleet and you just need a software to manage your deliveries and your orders, and this, you can come and use our software. So, you know, we, we try to kind of, like I said, be an, an all-in-one type of encompassing service and, and software that really anyone across all industries can use. Yeah. I like what you said earlier, you said you're batching. I had somebody on my podcast not so long ago from Capstone Logistics, and he said a lot of, a lot of people doing business with Instacart and Shipped say grocery store chains say we're losing money on those transactions and we're losing the customer. We don't have a direct experience with the customer anymore. And that was, that was a challenge. And by the way, I, I've used shipped. I, I, not lately, but uh, when I'm using shipped, I notice something I buy from Meyer, which is a like Walmart here in the Midwest, except it's nicer than Walmart. I have to say that because I'm from Michigan, but it is nicer than Walmart. Very similar. I bought something from Meyer through Shipped, and when I got caffeine-free Diet Coke, which I would never drink, so I had to take that Diet Coke back and get the real stuff. And they, when I got there, uh, they said, "What's your phone number?" Because that's the phone number is your customer number there. And they go, "Oh, it doesn't come up." So what hit me that even though I put that into the order with Shipped, because they asked for it, "What's your Meyer number?" I wasn't a Meyer customer anymore. I was a shipped customer. And so if you think about what Meyer for 20 years, they sold me groceries. They've spent billions of dollars. They got 200 locations in the Midwest and they lost me to an app <laughs> and, and then lost money on the transaction. It's got to be horrific if you're those guys. So a lot of those companies are looking to logistics companies to say, we're not going to lose that customer we're not going to lose that customer data. We're not going to lose that customer to somebody who eventually shipped an Instacart are eventually going to send saying, hey, you don't have to buy from Kroger anymore. You don't have to buy from whatever grocery store, buy from us. And so you're putting competitors in business. So I think it's great what you guys are doing because I think it's what stores, they don't want competition. They want a partner. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what we do. I mean, we leave you know, the control, you know, the, the, our partners control the customer relationship and that's how it should be. I mean, they've, you know, they're selling, it's their product, right? At the end of the day, we're just a facilitator. We're just facilitating that delivery. An extension of the brand. Absolutely. And that's, you know what, when you think about it, who's the first, the first person that is representing that brand? It's our delivery person. Right. So it's we're, we take that very seriously. We are going to see a competitive response. Not, I mean, obviously big companies like Kroger and stuff, they're going to say, we're going to have our own. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if they end up with fulfillment centers and a lot more groceries sent directly to home where 
the certain segment of the population doesn't even go to the store. I think we'll see more of that. But that's the big guys. The smaller companies are going to end up hiring third-party logistics companies. Could be like yours because it just makes sense. And Instacart and Shipped, and I'm not picking on them, they've done a phenomenal job. It's just they were in the same place you were, similar space as you were, when COVID hit, where all of a sudden everyone's like, I've heard of Instacart, I've heard of Shipped, now I need food delivered to my house because God knows I'm never leaving again. <laughs> True. But don't forget, those solutions are very costly for the business. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I say. That's why I said originally same, but really it's not the same. It's similar. Because they're also, they own they own the data. And I don't even know if they share it with the, the people they're taking it from. Anyway, enough of my blather. So what's next for your company? So, I mean, for us, you know, the future, again, is all tech driven. You know, from, from AI to auto, autonomous delivery, we're currently actually working on a next-gen Metro bot, uh, automating our- What is that? <laughs> Ro- you know, robots, deli- little ro- little bots that actually do deliveries. So whether it's your pharmacy package or, and again, we're waiting for, for regulatory approval here in New York to release, but we have partners that we're working on to build these, again, what I call uh, our metro bots uh, to make the actual deliveries, you know, and, and we're working on automating fulfillment centers. We're also working on, you know, precise chain of custody methods. And again, you know, just perfecting and building on our order batching technology as well to basically power deliveries for companies around the world. And that's that's the goal. I mean, we want to be a global company. I mean, we are currently in New York and we also do operate in London as well, which I don't think I mentioned. But very nice. But, you know, we want to be we really want to be a true global, global company. Very nice. So you mentioned um, secure delivery. What, What do you mean by that? You mean chain of custody? Chain of custody. Sure. So for example, when we have orders that are being moved from, let's say from pickup location A to pickup location B to perhaps pickup location C, we need to be able to make that delivery traceable, trackable. Uh, So for example, there's a delivery that's being picked up from lower Manhattan and it needs to go to upper Manhattan. We want, we're basically wanting our speedies Okay, our speedies are very hyper local located. So they don't move past, let's say, a one mile, one and a half mile radius. We want speedy one to pass on that order to speedy two, to speedy three, to get it all the way uptown Manhattan, which is about maybe it could be 60 to 70 blocks. You know, it could be four miles up north. So we want we want the technology to be able to basically pass that order as a chain of custody between, you know, speedies, which will basically promote quicker delivery of that order, as opposed to bringing it back to a warehouse or a hub and have it resorted, losing time, of course, and getting it reassigned to another delivery person. That's very important. And by the way, um, if you, anytime you're dealing with food or drugs, the chain of custody is super important because you, you know, uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act doesn't necessarily apply to this, but it could. I don't know. I don't know where they stop and start, but Food Safety Modernization Act talks a lot about chain of custody. And I always say it's, we might not know what that means uh, necessarily in the work world, but we all watch the cop shows and we see the, how the chain of custody is. If that thing was, if that uh, evidence was ever out of, out of process, out of compliance, it can't be used. And same thing with this, because we need to make sure that 
no pest got at it or any crazy people tampered with it. And that's, and so I love what you're doing. You know, it's interesting and it's kind of related. My friend, Andrew Kelly works at a company and they, they are doing a lot of uh, these envision like a, a barcode. I get to a box at, at a location and I use the barcode. It opens up the lock on that. I put it in, shut that, shut that lid. And I think that's, that's as a few, and they're doing mostly for hospital and medical, but they also have a consumer consumer product. And I think that's super important. One of the things that drives me crazy sometimes about home delivery, and I'm sure we've all experienced it. I remember getting a, a computer delivered to my house, a laptop. I was just kind of casually looking outside out the front door and I go, oh, that laptop delivered. It's on my front porch. Nobody stole it, obviously, but it seems ridiculous that you'd leave something at $700 that says, you know, <laughs> Lenovo on the side on the front porch. Absolutely. I think we're seeing more and more. And by the way, me as a me as a logistics company, I want to be able to say, I scan that, put it in the box, and I have proof of delivery right then. I'm connected. As opposed to, I delivered, I put it on your front porch, and you go, I never got it. I mean, you know, that's that that starts with with the seller, right? I mean, you know, for them not to have that marked as a signature required <laughs> delivery, again, that's you know that comes down to you know loss claims and things that obviously just increase the cost overall. Excellent, excellent. Well, Nancy, this is really interesting. I, I love what you guys are doing. What a what an interesting company you've created. And again, I don't think it's, when you say hyper-local and you're doing it in New York and you're doing it in London, obviously there's next place you could do Chicago. There's a lot of big cities around the world that this really is a perfect fit. I think when you think of suburbia, especially as some of us get further and further out, it's, it creates challenges. But I think uh, at some point, if you have the right technology and you say the technology is right, now all we're talking, whether it's a bike or a, a van or a car, yeah, you have, you're going to have options. And I guess it's just different market segments for you guys. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we've, we've developed what we've developed. We've uh, kind of developed a uh, ecosystem in a sense uh, within our company to provide really any delivery to anyone for any business in, in any market. Yeah, it's fantastic. So how do we reach out and talk to Nancy over at Metro Speedy or one of your one of your many many uh, salespeople? How do we talk to you guys? Sure, I mean you can visit our website at www.metrospeedy.com. Our website is pretty intuitive. If you're looking for a demo, you know, email us. If you're looking to partner with us, email us. And when you say partner, who, what kind of companies are you partnering with? Is this, this the customers you work with? Yeah. So any small, you know, any startup to enterprise level, you know, across all industries, any, anyone that's delivering small to medium sized packages. So and that not, could be groceries, of, drugs, yeah, exactly. pharmacy. What other kind of, what other kind of things do you guys deliver? Wine and spirits. We also. Oh, have, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're actually certified. Uh, we're, we have, you know, a fleet. Not everybody can do that. Exactly. That is very true. We actually have, we are certified to make alcohol delivery. So um, that's another added benefit for our company. We also partner with fashion, fashion companies as well. So your boutiques, it could be larger department stores, anything along those, those types of categories, anything again, small to medium sized. Excellent. Excellent. Well, what I'll do is I'll put a link to Metro Speedy in the show notes and I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out to you there. 
And uh, any other links that you and your marketing team give me, I will put those in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you so much, Joe. Nancy, it was really nice meeting you and talking to you about Metro Speedy. Congratulations on your success. And I I really see your model is working really well in, in a lot of places because, again, I, I think retailers and other companies that you serve are not looking for competition. They're looking for a partner. Absolutely. And that's what we're here to do. So thank you so much for, for having me. It was it was an absolute pleasure. Yep. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.